Welcome to Reactive. I'm Khalil and I'm here with Raquel. Hi, everyone. And Henning. Hello. 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 Yeah, we're all spaced out today, so this is going to be um, like a <laughs> weird show, maybe. Could be know. interesting. Maybe. Or not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Khalil, you went you went to a meetup last night. I went yeah. to a meetup last night, which never happened. Oh, waf- oh Waffle. Right. Waffle JS. Yeah. 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 But Khalil, you should, you should talk about Frankfurt JS first. Because okay, you fr- weren't here last week. So oh, yeah. we haven't heard your voice in a really long time. That's right. So I have to talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> don't to. I might anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, um, yeah, so Frankfurt JS was yesterday. We um, it was it was the like the last time was maybe two or three months ago. So that was cool. We had um, we had sixty sixty seats, and we got and there were actually the the whole registration part went very well and we had over 60 people that wanted that rsvp'd on meetup.com and then we had we ended up having like 50 people there and um uh, that means that we have to set so we had 60 seats and after 60 then people are put on like a waiting list and if the people that have a seat but don't come don't update their status then the nobody kind of you know is like officially moving into the seats on meetup.com so then that means that next time we'll just have to have we have to have that that cap has to be a little further up so yeah yeah and uh so but it was cool that was uh we started we started at like at 6 30 which turned out to be a little early uh apparently oh, wow, because yeah, it was early, and because many people are only arrived at like seven thirty or quarter past seven, and um, yeah, so we had one guy there from Microsoft. No, he's not from Microsoft. He actually is a freelancer. He worked. He works for Intel, and he's from out of. But he's like living in the. He's a programmer that kind of lives in the Microsoft world, and he's also a Microsoft MVP. And he um, and he was just talking. He, he gets like sponsored. So to speak, like the cost for travel and hotel and stuff, he gets paid for by Microsoft to then, you know, just do like a little roadshow and, and, and tour in the JavaScript community in Germany and talk to them about uh, JavaScript related tooling that Microsoft kind of offers nowadays. And uh, it was quite interesting, actually. So he was talking about TypeScript and he was talking about Visual Studio Code and he was talking about RxJS, and he was talking about Vor- Vorlon.js. So TypeScript uh, allows you to have types in JavaScript, and he, sh- he kind of showed off how the effect that it has in your editor, and he showed it in, I think, brackets or something. And that was that was really cool. I was... Since uh, t- uh, TypeScript for for us at work is kind of a, a topic that we have to think about because we're going we're going to move to Angular two and they're writing Angular two in TypeScript and stuff and uh, it's it also kind of like the d- dependency injection that that is done in Angular two is uh, you just have to type less if you use TypeScript um, with that and um, so and it was just nice to see what the the uh, the editor can do when you use TypeScript, right? when you when you kind of you can define interfaces and 
that's just basically a, a JavaScript object that has like properties in there, and and then you have a per property you uh, assign a type or like yeah you assign a type, and then it knows about this, and it can kind of if you have to use this kind of uh, in an instance of that interface or implementation of that inf interface, it knows exactly what kind of what kind of functions it has and what type they have to be. And like it just it takes like you you have to type less, and it automatically kind of creates this like a thin layer of unit tests all over your code if you use the types. And uh, I can definitely I it was a little bit more apparent to me how useful this can be. And because uh, you can, you can, you can even if you don't have unit tests, you could even you could, for instance, refactor um, eas more easily without really thinking about it too much because there is this layer with the types over it. So that was cool. And then so this is a, a big collaboration between Microsoft and Google, right? And they're they're pushing that pretty hard and, and using that in Angular for the reasons that you had just mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So they're using yeah. it in Angular and also because, yeah, well, actually, oh, it actually, yeah, the whole story with Google was they also wrote their kind of typing thing for, what was it called? I forgot, uh, that worked very similarly or was even built upon TypeScript or something like that. And at some point, uh, the Microsoft people started talking to the Google people a lot or to the Angular team about them switching just to TypeScript. And they finally convinced them, I think, also because they just said, okay, we know you need the decorators, you need this and that. We'll just we'll just prioritize that a little higher and then so that you can just go ahead and use it now and stuff. So, yeah, uh, as far as I know, the, the Microsoft people are pushing that a little and uh, uh, we're successful at that. That's, yeah. I think that's cool. <clears throat> looked really useful and then yeah uh, i think for big projects it definitely makes sense yeah when you have that extra layer on top because yeah. it, it just opens up a whole nother set of problems and that, that sort of helps you out yeah and also for teams it's helpful because you just have a little bit more security about your code yeah, and then there was RxJS. He just, it, of course, you can't really explain it in if you have to explain five tools, and one of it, it one of them is RxJS. <laughs> he just kind of uh, uh, he he gave a brief explanation and very quickly went into showing a few examples, um, which was nice. And then uh, he showed off Visual Studio Code, which is their open source editor. And uh, which is also written on top of Electron, uh, just as Atom. Atom is also written on top of Electron, as far as I know. And uh, but it's not like they they don't share any like implementation or anything like that. It's a completely. It's actually the Visual Studio Code editor actually already exists as under a different name, I think, or a similar similar name. Um, in the web browser, just somewhere on the internet, like there, it's called Visual Studio Web or something like that, and it's basically the same thing. And it has existed since a while already, apparently. And it's just the same. It's also an editor, but right there in the browser, and you you have can use plugins and all kinds of stuff. What kind of impression did it make? <clears throat> oh, it it seems really it seems really um, 
good. Like you can do it has of course it has very really good TypeScript support and um it also has this um whole IntelliSense thing um which supposed to help you I think refactor and and stuff like that and they seem to be as far as I heard like Visual Studio I didn't I think you said that too Henning they like that's so like the best kind of intelligence well, for me at least that's the probably the most fancy or most advanced and and really useful IDE that I've ever worked with um so it having the same name I was wondering if they you know if I, I know it's early still, and and that's not, um, you know, they haven't been around for that long. But if if it's really trying to to match what Visual Studio on the desktop can do, um, or or the native app or whatever, then uh, that could be quite quite interesting. Yeah, what was really impressive though, let me see if I can really remember how that worked. Was uh, there was like a debugging feature. That was really crazy. Where you can, uh, that was yeah. So he, he was writing TypeScript and was kind of setting breakpoints in his TypeScript, and that was somehow. Uh, and he could. He was able to jump through. Yeah, he was able to do like this kind of, you know, uh, breakpoint debugging where you step through the the different functions of your code within the Visual Studio Code editor instead of just in the Chrome DevTools. And that there was something crazy like that going on, which was pretty mm. was really impressive actually. <clears throat> but yeah, I, the debugging stuff, that was a, that's one thing that sticks out for me and then also um, the refactoring support was amazing. I mean, that was just, that was really cool. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody really raving about it. I think that uh, you hear from the Angular community that there's a, a bunch of people using it with uh, because of TypeScript. Um, but I think it still has um, a bunch of rough, ed rough edges. And yeah, so I don't know. I, okay. I think... Uh, if we ever move to TypeScript, I will definitely check check it out and try it out and see. But I have so many, I have I have so much stuff configured in my Atom editor that I think it will be difficult to switch to <laughs> something that is like you're locked so, in <laughs> so early stage, you know, because I'm sure it doesn't have all the same things that I need or I'm used to or whatever. So yeah but it's definitely interesting and it uh, definitely makes sense to look into it so that was cool and then Vor vorlon js was this it's some sort of a um sounds like something out of star trek it really does that's super <laughs> weird sounding yeah uh <laughs> but it is something really cool actually it's it allows you to do like remote debugging like you can like you can you can I think you have to start like a a little node server or something like that, and then you get this link, and you use this link in your iPhone, for instance. And how does it work? I don't know. I have to look it up again. But somehow, but what what it it gives you basically the features of the 
Chrome DevTools for debugging of JavaScript, like console and all that stuff, for uh, any type of device. And you can you can you can look at you can uh, you can you know console log out and stuff like that. And you see all that on your desktop computer or your laptop or whatever while you're browsing on your phone or using your app on your phone, and you can debug like that. And it just works with any kind of device somehow remotely. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, ha- has been around for a while already and uh, is also by Microsoft apparently, and uh, which is not very well known. So that was uh, all in all, that was really interesting because, uh, because Microsoft is indeed making some, in- doing some interesting things in the open source world nowadays. Yeah, they're trying really hard, and I don't think they get enough credit for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. Agreed. And um, so that was really nice. And then the second talk was kind of like a talk that was like a real like uh, mind blow talk by Christoph Martens. He has given a bunch of talks at Carlswitches and Frankfurt Jazz already before. And uh, he also uh, gave a talk at JSConf EU, I think, last year. Um, and it was always about JavaScript performance on a like very, very uh, like in-depth kind of V8, you know, deep down, close to the metal kind of stuff. Uh, because he is a he is a um, game developer, or he's he's a game engine developer. Really, he is a the main developer of Litchi.js and Litchi.js is is uh is like a game engine for the for for games in the browser and so he really knows a lot about how to get the the last inch you know squeeze any kind of performance out of rendering performance and any and all that stuff um out of the browser engine especially uh the V8 engine and uh, but he was talking about Litchi JS and and the whole the the system he's been working on that with I think three other people for a long time and what kind of a system VH uh, Quatsch Litchi JS has has become um, basically a system to build any type of application and any type of application with peer to peer and um, completely cross platform so it's absolutely insane i mean he packed all this information into 30 minutes which was impossible to to really do actually he was talking very fast so most people were just like uh what's going on (laughs) and um but it's absolutely it's really interesting so basically he's he's um taking all the stuff he learned um and found out um and also patterns that are actually prevalent in the gaming kind of game engine engine programming space and applies them and um and and what's crazy is that it's all like truly cross platform so any any like ui ui elements and stuff like that are all implemented for all the different platforms for opengl for webgl for just the browser for android for ios for windows for mac for everything like there is an implementation of those different ui things that on top of that you can 
style and make them look how you want them to look and then of course they support like the whole this spriting and animation and and you can do like crazy 3d games with it and you can have like devices talk to each other via peer-to-peer and they had to do like crazy stuff to um to web sockets to make that work and to tcp and i don't know use weird protocols or change the protocols or i don't know i i did not understand a lot and um but it seems like he's or they are really doing some really really incredible work there what what he was he spent a lot of time um talking about how you can anything that happens so everything that you want to um if you so it's also it's also truly portable between the different platforms for instance because anything you do in there you can serialize into like a huge json blob and you can take that json blob and then put it into like a lichijs instance on a different platform and it will look and work exactly the same 100% like there's no like there's no question it's that's how it's built and um that was very interesting and what they also can do is like it the they have like an event system and anything that happens on this peer-to-peer connection um, and on the network is kind of registered is in this event system and is can also be serialized. So that means that they can they can do debugging through that serialization because in that serialization they can also see at what time what happened on the network and stuff like that. So that was. Uh, it's just really, it's absolutely insane, uh, the amount of complexity and depth and knowledge and all that stuff that was that's in that project. It's crazy. So basically, he um, he and he also also was talking about he wanted to actually talk about an AI aspect of all of that because. <clears throat> You can have, I think he said something about, but he didn't really have enough time for that. But he, he mentioned that they have like an AI for testing purposes that learns by itself how to break your application as efficiently as possible. <laughs> right? Wow. So, yeah. So it kind of figures out what, I think it also learns about what users or players do on that application and then um, and learns wh- where there's like weaknesses and tries to break your application as efficiently and as fast as possible <clears throat> so that you you get that um, those error reports and you can even like you can automate you can automate everything you can have like the AI break your thing and then automatically create an issue on GitHub and all this crazy stuff like <laughs> and like post the you know serialized blob of what like what happened on a timeline and sounds oh like God. Star Trek again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, I think this is pretty advanced advanced stuff uh, yeah. he, he might be coming back to talk about the whole AI aspect as well. Cool. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool. And then we had a third talk, uh, which which I didn't really uh, attend because it w- had Internet of the Internet of Things um, as a uh, part of a, like it was part of 
or was about the Internet of Things and how to use Node-RED, uh, which is some sort of a flow programming. Visually, you can create flows and that programs and connects different inter things in the Internet and stuff like that. And the Internet of Things is not something that really raises a lot of uh, uh, interest in me. So, so uh, I, I tend to skip those talks. So I didn't really attend that talk. But but the people who saw it were actually, I think they they liked uh, Node Red at least that tool. Node Dash Red is called. And um, but what was really cool was that Eve, who is a reactive uh, listener, um, he was there and he introduced himself, and um, and that was really cool because um he's a really cool guy and we had like we just had long conversation and andre was there too who's also a reactive listener and we did a little like uh, mini like <laughs> like five minutes ten minute a reactive podcast mini meetup there which was really awesome and there was a Yay. selfie which is very cool yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah with the frankfurt skyline in the background which yes very nice which is very blurry also but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like you were on a boat well no we were not on the boat but we were on a like on the roof uh or basically on a terrace is it is, do you say terrace terrace, terrace, uh, terrace on top of that that uh building basically yeah uh, so was it at e-texture again or yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's a crazy office Yeah, the terrace nice. is awesome. Has yep. a really beautiful view on onto the skyline of Frankfurt, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's the only skyline in Germany, really. So it's <laughs> really nice. That's not true. I think it depends on how you define skyline. Well, skyscrapers. Yeah. Uh, uh, meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Which skyline are you thinking of? I mean, I I love the the Berlin skyline, but I mean, then again. To me, I don't really think of it as big buildings. I just think of it as with the sky as a backdrop. What are right. the buildings that you can see? And, you know, that, that, that's my definition of skyline. <clears throat> doesn't have to have skyline. Okay. Well, in, in the Germanized version of the word skyline, the skyline, <laughs> the sky, the, the, it's really true. Like, I don't know if maybe in, in English it means like just like anything that has like a sky as a backdrop. But in Germany, when you talk about a skyline, because that's what we do, we use the English word skyline. We talk about, you know, the New York like skyline, like mm. with big buildings. And yeah, that's kind of the synonym for it. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, very cool. Yeah, that, that was uh, Frankfurt JS. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> So what about Waffle JS? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, what Waffle JS. to go if you never you don't go to meetups that often anymore. Um well, okay. So the reason I went was because one of the organizers, uh this new, he DM'd me and he basically was like, "So when are you talking Waffle JS? You talking Waffle JS this month? How about this month? Come on. Come on. When are you talking? When are you talking? When are you going to talk?" And I'm like, "Okay, fine. How long is this talk?" And he said it was it's like a 10 to 15 minute talk, not really that big of a deal. Um, and it was, uh, and he was like, you can talk about whatever you want. And I was like, okay, I don't want to prepare very much for this talk. So I ended up, uh, I gave a talk about hiring at NPM in terms of the mistakes that we've made that we wanted to share with other people. Um, and this is specific to the hiring process, like not about, 
uh, anything more than just, you know, starting from create a job description, which is a lot harder than you think. And it's like, you know, whatever. And then uh, all the way through like interviews and selection processes and um, like what, what to do when you, uh, you know, make an offer and all of those things. Like we, we learned a lot in, of ju- about just the process over the last two years and uh, we decided to share them. And so I gave a talk about that and it was like, when I practiced it, it was like nine minutes and 59 seconds. And I, I practiced it in front of the NPM. Uh, we have like a, a, a weekly, uh, a weekly meeting where everybody just kind of like comes together and like, here's any announcements and somebody will give like a talk or something. And so I practiced it in front of everybody. And then I got all this feedback, like, Oh, you should include this and you should include that. And don't forget this and don't forget that. And I was like, I have already at nine minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> I'm not really sure how I'm going to fit any more information in for a 10 minute talk. And, uh, but sure enough, I, I took all the feedback and I and I managed to put a little bit more, not as much as I would have liked, but a little bit more. And I talked really, really, really fast. And uh, I think I clocked it in at like nine minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was so fast and I put so much content in there. Um, but, but it was cool because uh, on the one hand, it was... Uh, our, our CEO, Isaac, was, was in the audience. And afterwards, I went up to him and I was like, hey, how did it go? And he was like, two thumbs up. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. I managed to incorporate some things. And he was like, yeah, I noticed when, I, when you gave it to the company, it didn't make me squirm at all. Like, I wasn't uncomfortable. But hearing you give examples of the ways we messed up made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> like, oh, no. Especially because, like, people who've been through the process were in the room and like we failed them. And it was, it was like, it was super uncomfortable in terms of like, like it's really weird sharing your dirty laundry. Right. But I think at the same time, when people find out that you're not perfect and that you've made mistakes, uh, it helps them also understand that when they make mistakes, it's okay. And that they can learn from things too. And it's a lot more approachable. Um, it's like, I could have just been like, and this is how you hire people, blah, 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 <laughs> Ta-da, at the yeah. end, you know, and like, you'll be like, oh, great, that sounds awesome. But when you say things like, uh, make sure you put together a proper job description, because if you don't, you might end up interviewing people for a job that you don't actually need, and then you don't end up hiring anyone, and that's really uncomfortable and really sad. Because we've done that. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, oh, we did that too. It's like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, I think people can relate <laughs> a lot better. And, and I think you get, as a company and as a person, you get a lot more respect if you do something like that. At least that's the effect it has on me that I've seen you know, in the past. So oh, yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah. And, and of course, the other major thing was that any examples that we gave were completely anonymous. Like... I mean, I I know that there are a few people who are like nervous. Oh, gosh, are they going to talk about me? And I'm like, we've made so many of these mistakes so many times. I promise (laughs) no one's going to know who who went through this or who didn't go through this and and whatever. Um, Like another mistake we made once was we we sent an offer to a person who accepted the offer and immediately tweeted it or tweeted that they were joining the company. 
before we had an opportunity to let the other people who we did not extend an offer to, uh, like a chance to let them know that you will not be getting an offer. So like they found out by Twitter and it's like, oh, that was not a good idea. Next time we are going to notify candidates like if you accept this offer, (laughs) please don't say anything. Well, you don't want to turn people down. And then be turned down from the offer as well, right? Like, oh yeah, that's right. So, like, it's a it's a little balancing act. So, I think it's important to just kind of uh, really the big key takeaways that I hoped people got from my talk were um, communicate a lot to your candidates because they're willing to put up with a two month process as long as you communicate. You have to let them know if they're not moving on, if they are moving on, or if they're still in limbo. And as long as you communicate those things, uh, it's a lot easier of a process. Um, The other major takeaway is when you're interviewing, make sure you ask relevant questions, uh, no brain teaser stuff, uh, and make sure that, that you're asking similar questions across the board of every candidate because you want an equal playing field for every single person who, who interviews with you. Um, and then the third major takeaway was hopefully that the opportunity for growing your company, like the when you open up the the candidate pool, so when you first put your job rec on online and say, hey, we're hiring, that's the moment before you have your first round of interviews, that's the moment that you get to really stack the deck and really impact who could possibly be joining your company? There's a huge conversation about pipeline right now where it's like, well, we can't find any women engineers or uh, there are no underrepresented minorities applying for our jobs. So obviously there just aren't any. And it's like, no, 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 no. The reason you're not seeing them is because you're not actually trying. So um, instead of just tweeting it out and putting putting your job uh, description on a blog post or something, uh, which is pretty much guaranteed to result in only people that you know of or heard of actually applying to your company, you have to make the extra effort of doing some outreach and going into communities that you might not necessarily be personally involved with. And that is a lot harder. But in the in the end, you end up having a candidate pool from which uh, of like really interesting uh, groups of people with, with with different experiences and backgrounds and knowledge and et cetera. And then from there, from there, you get to have, you can, you know, go through your entire interview process and, and, you know, make some really cool stuff happen. Um, and, and I think people, people responded really, really well to that. Um, there were some other really great talks too. Uh, the talk I question of a question oh, about your, the process. Um, yeah. So, since I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that the, the numbers of applicants are pretty large and you just said, you know, you need to communicate um, really well, especially, you know, if people are, well, I guess in all stages for all cases, do you, right. how do you manage that? I mean, is, is there, I, you know, how do you remember or know what you've sent to whom or who's on what list? And is yeah. there actually, yeah, what do you do? Um, oh, so there is this really, really great app a web app called lever Lever lever.co and uh they are so like i don't know how anybody does hiring without it to be quite honest um because what's great about it is you get candidates uh like we have a jobs at npmjs.com email address and through that you can basically forward the the email to to lever 
And then like it pulls in their resume from the attachments, their cover letter, whatever. And then um, it basically handles the entire process. So you can add labels like this person is applying for a web developer position. This person is applying for a marketing position and you can filter based on just the labels. And then you can, um, you can actually move them. They have like a, like an actual process timeline at the top and you can be like, okay, this person's moving on to the first round. This person's moving on to the second round. This person is moving to the, to the onsite. This person is, has been given an offer. Um, and you can like take people out and everything like that. And you can communicate to everybody. Um, you can say things like, hi, we're still in the process. Um, we are hoping to, you know, get to some particular point in the process by this particular date, blah, blah, blah. Um, or, you know, and, and you can do all the emails via lever. You can do all of the, uh, when, when candidates are being interviewed by different people in the company, uh, each employee at the company can put in their feedback and like, do like, you know, two thumbs up or, um, you know, uh, do not hire this person or whatever. You can give feedback and it's just a really nice tool for, reviewing and handling all of your candidates, um, which is really, really nice. Yeah, it sounds so. like pretty sophisticated, but I, that's what I was wondering. I mean, there must be mm-hmm. something like that because otherwise how on earth do you manage that? Yeah, no, otherwise otherwise it's really easy. I mean, even with a tool like that, you can, I mean, we've had that tool since pretty much the beginning and we failed a lot until we, like you have to be conscious and conscientious about being like, okay, how long has this person been in the loop and how long has it been since we last talked to them and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it can be a little, it can be tricky. It can definitely, yeah. definitely be tricky. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, there were, there were a couple other, there were a few other talks. At, they were all, so what I really liked about Waffle.js was that they were, all the talks were pretty short. I think there was like one or two talks that went a little bit over. So instead of like, 10 to 15 minutes, they were more like 20 minutes. Um, but even still, it's not like 45-minute talks, um, which can start to feel like a conference. Uh, and in between all the talks, they had karaoke, <laughs> which is fun. And everybody got a waffle. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had a waffle with Nutella and strawberries, which is pretty great. Yeah. And nice. <laughs> it was really fun. It was really good. It was it was like a good Belgian waffle too. It wasn't even like you know crappy American waffle. Um, and it's in this it's in this location. It's a it's a it's called a street food or something. And it's like but street as S T R E A T. So like you know like because it's basically it's a it's a food truck part park. It's a food truck park. Uh, in Soma, which is one of the neighborhoods in San Francisco. So, like, you walk in, and there's just a bunch of food trucks just sitting around, and you can, like, get food from all of these different places, and um, it's pretty cool. Um, and it was a really chill vibe, and and the the organizers are really fun. Uh, the other talks, there was a talk by uh, Shirley Wu, and she did, a, she did an interesting talk about React and D3, and about how React and D3 both manipulate the DOM in exactly the same way. Um, or like, sorry, they both manipulate they both manipulate the same parts of the DOM. And so you can do some really interesting experimental stuff where you can kind of replace some of the things that you would use with React uh, and use them with D3 instead and vice versa. And like 
what happens when you do that. It was like a fun little experimentation, an experimentation type of talk. Um, and then there was uh, Miles Borens did a, a cool talk about um, he basically turned the entire room into a synthesizer. So it was like a music talk. Uh, and he had like everybody turn on their cell phones and go to a link. And he like he would play some music, but depending on like your phone, I, I don't remember all the details, but basically it was like, he was like, turn your volume all the way up, turn it off, take it off of mute. And he was like controlling everyone's phones musically. <laughs> wow. And so every phone, That's every good. phone had like a slightly different tone to it. And he would just kind of mess around, like play different tones and the whole room just kind of like sounded super weird. It was it was rather psychedelic. Was this um, all over Wi-Fi or the carrier network? Because it would be kind of a lot of lag, I would think. I think it was over the carrier network because I didn't huh. see any Wi-Fi. Like it wasn't like that. Nobody said like everyone joined the Wi-Fi. Like yeah, this is the okay. Wi-Fi address. Or yeah. Like that. So it was. I think it was over the carrier network. <laughs> but it was. It was like it was really kind of trippy. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, great. It's such then, a great idea. Yeah, no, it's fun. Um, and then the last talk was Tessa Renierson, uh, Tessa on on Twitter, and she. This was it was like her first. It was like her first uh, tech talk in front of a tech audience. I was talking to her afterwards, and she was like, "I've given I've given talks like the last talk I gave was to a, a group of high school girls," <laughs> and I was like. That's awesome. You and and like she she totally rocked it. Uh, but she did an introduction to cryptography via emoji. So she like <laughs> like had all of these slides about cryptography, but she just used emoji to like try to explain the concepts. It was it that was fun. That was a lot of fun and she was getting like really into it. Um I just thought it was a really creative way. I think I think a lot of people like they see these talks and they're like, "Oh my god, I never know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know how to like put together an idea for a talk. Everybody's already done the same stuff, right?" And it's like my biggest piece of advice to people is it doesn't have to be a unique topic. It just has to be a unique delivery. So, if you take a topic that's been covered before, but you do it in a different way and you do it like your way, then it's a totally different topic. So I can't tell you how many security talks I've seen before. Like I've seen a lot of security talks, but this one was so refreshingly fun because it was done with emoji. And and there's something about emoji that just kind of lends itself to a like a just a, a really chill, fun kind of a, a whimsy, right? Like, like it was it was whimsical, and and that and security can be so dry so dry and yeah. this was anything but so <clears throat> it was really fun it was really really fun um and then afterwards it was just all karaoke for anybody who wanted to do karaoke and i was like okay i need to leave um sounds like a good place <laughs> not, yeah i mean not because i don't like karaoke but i was exhausted um yeah. and uh but then like just like any other meetup like this is why i i, I try not to go to too many meetups because for one, I'm like super, uh, I'm actually an introvert, which means that I lose energy when I interact with people. Um, so I'm like getting more and more tired as I see people. But like I kept seeing people I hadn't seen 
sometimes in like up to two years. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in forever. And so I like want to talk to people and like catch up and stuff. But every time I'm talking to somebody, I'm like getting more and more tired. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and then I finally got home at like 1045. <laughs> I was like, it's so past my bedtime. I'm old. <laughs> so, yeah. but anyway, besides being a grandma, uh, it was really, it was a lot of fun. And I think, I think of most meetups, I would definitely go back to Waffle JS. I would totally do it again. Maybe not next month, but definitely, definitely sometime in, you know, sometime in 2016. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like for the food alone, it'd be worth it. I mean, it's a good, a good combination of talks and food and karaoke. Yeah. It's fun to watch, I guess, or it can be. Yeah, it can be. I mean, but I mean, just the people are so nice. That's one thing about the JavaScript community, I have to say, is that people are just so chill and really fun to talk to. And I made some new friends, you know, caught up with old ones. Um, Another thing that I really liked about Waffle.js, actually, was that when you buy your ticket, um, you can get an early bird ticket or you can get like a student ticket. Uh, And the student ticket, when you buy a student ticket, uh, as a non-student, you can actually pay more for your ticket so that then uh, a student can go for free. And that's kind of a nice way, I think, to encourage more like more people to join these sorts of things and really bring fresh uh, perspectives and, and I was going to say fresh blood. <laughs> 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 but, you know, fresh, fresh perspectives and, and, new, and newcomers into the community. Um, Especially because, you know, as a student, you don't want to pay for anything because exactly. you're not making anything. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Nice. How much is a ticket? Uh, it's $12 if you buy it, like, like if you buy it on the day of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think early bird is $10. And I don't remember how much the student ticket was. I imagine it's like, I don't know, less than 20 I mean, it's really reasonable, and I think the proceeds go towards uh, a a cool. Uh, oh, uh, all proceeds go to Girls Who Code. So, cool. yeah. is that yeah. one of those deals where they do that so they don't have too many people um, not show up? Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. Okay, exactly. It's a lot easier to get people to show up if you make them pay money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you, you can also upgrade the event a little bit. Because you can invest that money yeah. in like waffles or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> they were good waffles. Very cool. All right. Um, I had a little follow up on uh, last week's conversation about WordPress. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to any um, meetups, so I'm, I'm bound to the house <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> because, oh. yeah. Uh, could happen any moment. Uh, we'll see when when the baby comes. But anyway, the uh, the conversation last week was that you know we were were quite enthusiastic about um, WordPress basically moving um, to a more modern tech stack and and all the the good things that brings with it. And then I found this post or I saw this post by uh, John O'Nolan. He is the founder of Ghost, which is a blogging platform, and he yeah. was uh, actually. Uh, rather critical of um, Calypso and the choices that uh, the people made in uh, implementing it, which I thought was quite interesting. And 
Um, his, he, he sort of, you know, gave out a warning and said, yes, I'm an Ember developer, you know, and uh, obviously these are subjective opinions, but uh, um, he was surprised that they, they chose um, React. And uh, um, because his, his opinion of it is um, that while it is really, um, you know, a, an awesome tool, uh, for for a lot of teams, um, especially smaller teams where you have um, everybody on the same page, and you can sort of agree on things and and have a if you're sort of in a closed system where you don't have too many outside influence or outside uh, developers or contributors, you can basically keep the project clean and on track. And by that, he probably means structure and um, you know just follow certain conventions because React really doesn't seem to give you any. Um, so. What he then, you know, proceeded to say is that once once this goes open source, which it actually already is, it might become really difficult um, to keep uh, everything, you know, from not turning into a mess of spaghetti. And um, mm. he gave this analogy, basically saying that you know, Ember is uh, you can think of it as Lego or Lego pieces, and uh, they're all exactly the same. So. You can compose your your applications out of these building blocks, and whether you are in Ghost or he, I think he mentioned um, Discourse or any other application, they all look exactly the same down to the directory structure. And you know we know Ember is very opinionated, and so basically the the framework dictates um, pretty much everything, and the chance of or the possibility of you know turning everything into a into a mess. Is is therefore limited, and it works better for larger teams. And then his his next thing was Angular, saying that it was more like a, an injection molding machine, um, where you could make your own pieces however you wanted to. Um, so that in itself is extremely powerful because you can make whatever you want to. But there again, you could run into problems down the line if it doesn't, um, you know, if you don't have a team that that can agree on things or or that. Um, you know, if standards are not really enforced. And then React, he was saying, is, is like way, way, way down the line. It's basically a piece of clay um, where you can do you know, anything you want and there's no rules, no nothing, and you have, basically have to you know, put everything together yourself. And he was, that was his criticism of it, saying at least that's what the gist that I got, is that um, he thinks that could be um, a potential problem for for the open source project, I was just curious what uh, what you thought of that. Since I have no experience with React, but it's sort of the tendency, or or the I guess the the fear that I always have of things that are not too opinionated. That if you have different levels of developers, um, you know, different experience levels, and um, just different types of people working on it, that if you don't have a strict um, uh, sort of enforcement of various standards that you you run the risk of you know turning your app into the thing that we were all you know scared of in the past, which is you know uh, jQuery spaghetti code mm-hmm. mess. So just curious what you thought. Yeah, Khalil, do you want to go first? Uh, I can. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 spent some time putting together you know some guidelines or some a process I think maybe even in code I don't know for the build process of your your application right for angular uh, us yeah, uh, yeah. 
Well, I wanted to. S so what I immediately start thinking about is uh, you said it yourself there using one of the oxes. That's yeah. how the last episode was called. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> right. great title. And uh, that. So if you use one of those oxes, that kind of. So if you do use that, um, it's true that you don't have the same kind of directory structure and exactly the same kind of split up an organization of files and stuff like that over all the different projects. But using something like Flux or Redux or whatever, already you have to have like at least a certain, um, you will start, you will start splitting up your files into in, in the case of Flux, you will start splitting up your files into components, uh, stores, uh, the dispatcher, and actions and action creators. And that immediately creates a folder structure and a way of organizing your files. And it takes care of organizing your data flow for application state. And then you have... <clears throat> On top of that, you have like stuff that talks to servers and stuff like that. And I don't know how that, that is then completely free, I guess. Um, although I would, I would think that there is, there are some tools that, that are, uh, favored by the React community. But when you talk about React, um, just about React, that's true. Like React is just a view layer and then that's it. And there, if you don't have any system for the rest and the data flow of uh, data flow and state management of your, of your application, then it will definitely like implode in a ball of spaghetti. Uh, but if you use one of those, so that's basically my point. So if you use one of those, uh, um, conventions for for your data flow and state management stuff like that you are like very it's still it's still not necessarily so as rigid as ember or definitely not but it makes it much more easier for somebody who has somebody who who kind of oversees development of this open source project to tell people uh, to keep to keep the code and the code structure and and the growing application kind of in line, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I so yeah. so if that is the criticism, then I don't see I don't I don't see it as um, negatively. I would, yeah. I would say at all actually. Yeah, I mean to me it seems like these things are so I don't know. It depends so much on the team actually and. Yeah. And what they choose and how they work together. But I guess the point was that if you open source it and you have, you know, WordPress is is, is huge and the number of um people that not necessarily work on core but contribute to it in in, in ways of plugins, etc., is so diverse and so um it just in sheer numbers it's enormous. So yeah. I think that was his point, is that if you have all these people now switching Basically, switching from PHP to to JavaScript, uh, what does that mean? You know, and, and can I, you do it? You know? I think that that you definitely. What's definitely true is that you have more work to do when you don't use Ember yeah. when it comes to uh, 
creating guidelines on how to write your code and where goes what and stuff like that because you have to think of, you have to think of it you know like you have to write all that stuff yourself you have to you have to set those laws for that project and i can't imagine sure it's going to be open source but i can't imagine it's just going to be uncontrollably it's just going to be uncontrolled like you know people can just pr stuff and everything's going to be yeah. merged left and right and stuff like no there's going to be somebody who's going to oversee and there's going to be some sort of guidelines and like i said in my opinion and my my limited experience so far with uh, with the flux flow in an application that takes care of a lot of stuff and it really brings a lot of clarity for certain things or for a big part of how you think about your components and how the data flows and how it communicates and all that stuff. And it goes a long way. And when you have then on top of that, you, you take care of uh, a bunch of other things. You, I mean, you have to do that. You, you have to write all that stuff down. You have to set the laws and all that stuff. But, th but if you use something like Redux or whatever, then it's, there is already a lot that people are familiar with, especially if they are React developers and stuff. So, yeah, it's like, it's not that black and white. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say that um, I think most people can agree that, uh, like, the the consistency of code and, and the organization of code is important for any project. Um, and really it comes down to where do you want to put the responsibility for that code organization? Do you want to put it at at the the like the code layer uh so like ember says we don't want anybody to have to think about it we're just going to be extremely prescriptive we're going to be extremely explicit about how to do this uh, and we're not gonna let you do it any other way so that you don't have to have you don't have to spend the time figuring out whether or not these two things are going to flow properly or you can you you can give up some of that control and push it down further down the line to the point of uh either the people writing the code themselves need to make the the kind of like logistical de decisions about well this is how we format things and blah 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 and then you have like formatters or whatever or you can push it even further down the line and say whoever's managing the pull requests has to review everything and decide um whatever the case like there's a whole spectrum of options and i think that whoever is uh it, it really just depends on the decision of the people putting together the project, where do they want that responsibility to lie? And in, I think what John Nolan's trying to say is that it's a bit of a sloppy decision to think that uh, like a small team of developers at Automatic are going to be able to handle the onslaught of the myriad of different developers from around the world trying to contribute to this project Uh, once it goes open source, like right. you're basically thinking a many to one sort of relationship. There's gonna be one person reviewing all the pull requests and there are going to be a many, many, many of them. I know that on the NPM projects, like people will, will put in their pull requests because they want to contribute to NPM and we love that. But we have some very rigid rules about how we handle code quality and formatting and, uh, you know, just logic and, and all of that stuff. And so Uh, merging a pull request takes a long time uh, at NPM, just just in, in terms of, you know, do you know how our code is structured? We do. You might not yet. So we're going to guide you 
to get you to the point where you can do it. And if you don't put that guidance in, then it doesn't take as long, but then it also means that you might not have uh, the code quality across the project that you want or as many contributors as you want, right? Like it's, it's a one or the other. Um, so I think it's, my read on this is that John's a bit more like, you know, you're shooting yourselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah, that's what it Be sounds careful. like. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, with Ghost, the fact that they chose Ember means that they don't have to worry about all of those things. They know that at least on some level, every single pull request that comes in, they don't have to, they don't have to think about, okay, well, you know, is this the Ember way? Because, it, of course, it is. It wouldn't work if it weren't. Right. Whereas uh, React, there is no necessarily one React way. There might be one Flux way, but there isn't necessarily one React way. And so uh, I think to Khalil's point, putting together the, the rules at the outset, like at the very, very, very beginning, saying, okay, we're doing things the Flux way. And if you want to be, if you want to be part of this, learn the Flux way, and then we can keep talking. Um, it, it just comes down to who holds the responsibility and uh, who's willing to put in the work to make sure that responsibility is upheld. So yep. those are my two cents. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but it's, it's actually uh, also uh, like you have to learn the flux way, but it, when it comes to Ember, then you have to like, you have to learn the Ember way, which might even turn out to be even more stuff to learn especially if you haven't have done ember before yeah but it's uh it's tricky yeah it is i mean and i I don't know if i agree with that statement because it's yeah i don't know ember takes so much out of your hands um Mm -hmm. in a in a way that you don't have to at least up front learn a lot of stuff that's i think that's why it appeals to me it's because it's just um yeah, but there's too much. There's too much stuff to learn. But the learning stuff, the learning curve is supposed to be so steep. Um, yeah, I don't. It, I guess it is in in a way. But uh, if you if you consider, um, I don't know. I, I've said this a million times before, but uh, the whole build process, you know, and how things are wired up, just taking all that away and having it, you know, done for you. To yeah, me, that was huge. That's worth, such a big, a lot, yeah. big hurdle to get over, especially when you're not, you know, you're coming into JavaScript and you're coming into um, all this stuff, um, you know, from from a different point as I am. Yeah. Um, so that was very helpful. I mean, if I, you know, I hear things about um, React, et cetera, and Flux, and it's like, yeah, that's all fine and dandy, but uh, how do I put it all together? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, very interesting. It's definitely. So uh, let's keep an eye on it and see what happens when yeah. they open source. If they employ yeah, it. definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's our time. No. Um, so. I know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so we have some new people in our Slack channel. Yes. Let me, uh, uh, let me click on the list. Okay, so we have two people, it seems. So there's F. Anderson, Anderson, mm-hmm. and Magalhini. So big up to both of you for Yay! joining. They've also been very active recently. Yeah. Uh, is also uh, more active again. And they're currently um, all kind of hacking away on the advent of code, I think it's called. Is that correct? 
I saw something in the chat <clears throat> today. Which is which is a really cool little website where when you go there, you get a challenge for every day in December or every day until Christmas, I guess. You get a coding challenge. And, uh, and they were like, and the, uh, Silas opened, actually opened a repository on our, um, uh, reactive pod org on GitHub. And people are kind of pull requesting their solutions for the first three days into there, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's what's going on. And awesome. yeah, lots of, uh, lots of, uh, just, uh, fun kind of conversations and people helping each other out with code and yeah stuff it's really cool it's yeah. really fun yeah Super we also cool. have a uh, a new review um yay from yay. australia um Whoa. triple word score i don't know who that is but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a scrabble uh, player <laughs> yeah Oh. It says, uh, good people, there are three hosts, or the three hosts of this friendly weekly podcast discuss what they are learning, what is new, exciting, and challenging in their work in the web development industry. There is a consistent and genuine human theme that has attracted steadily growing community, a steadily growing community of like-minded folks, good people. Yay! Nice, thank you. Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> and I definitely, I have to uh, definitely plug my wife's new blog, which is called German Juice, which that, which is uh, which is a word she made up for beer because she she really likes German beer. <laughs> I was going to ask if that's what it means. Yeah, that's what it means. But I was wondering what it meant. I was like, German juice. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's it's a food blog, and she's uh, she she makes beautiful pictures about, as like one of her biggest passions is food, obviously. And she she puts pictures up there, reviews uh, of interesting places, and she's also going to put up some like uh, recipes and stuff, and and going to show people how to make some really nice food at home easily cool. and nice. stuff yeah so is uh, she gonna give like beer pairings with the food and things like that um uh i think she's she she might she's also gonna give, i think she also uh is definitely gonna do like test different beers she got like like friends of ours uh gave her like a big box with all kinds of different beers from different places and she's gonna do oh, cool this kind of stuff I'd be curious to read that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're you're also uh like a beer yeah. connoisseur aren't you well, I like I like the juice. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Not just from Germany. Yeah. I see. Belgian, uh, but German is very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Fun so fact. so def oh, yeah. sorry. <clears throat> I just wanted to 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 finish uh, that segment with please check it out and if you like it go ahead and and follow everywhere and stuff like that. Yeah, it's done really nicely. I just glanced into it and read a few things. The pictures are amazing. It makes you really want to go and eat. So I've I've looked at it and I was just like, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well done. So, yay! All right, cool. Well, then uh, in that case, um, definitely join our Slack channel and and uh, chat with us. Um, you can find the link to the Slack channel in our show notes on uh, reactive.audio and you can talk to me on Twitter at rockbot um, stuff things mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, and I'm Khalil tweets on Twitter and uh, um, did you say reactive pod on Twitter already? Already? No, I didn't. Oh, okay, totally so forgot. yeah, so there's uh, and there's reactive pod on Twitter uh, where you can uh, you get always the, the newest episodes get posted there and you can also reach us there and uh, and 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 the show notes are on reactive.audio. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I am H Glattergots on Twitter and Please leave us a review if you have two minutes. Uh, would help us out and uh, be really nice. Uh, you can just go to the show notes. There's a link there that's called uh, Rate Us on iTunes. And that takes you right to iTunes or opens it up and uh, you don't have to look around. That'd be awesome. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you. Yay. Bye. 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 So Bye. fun fact, uh, uh, Henning. Yes. Did you know that Belgian wheat beer... Uh, so I like German Hefeweizen, but I hate Belgian wheat beer because apparently they use coriander in ah, yes. Belgian wheat beer, oh, no. which is, which is the same shit as cilantro. <laughs> and exactly. I'm just like, I, I drink it. And I'm like, ah, oh, oh. this is the nastiest thing ever. <laughs> so fun. <laughs>